<laughs> it's not like. Well, this is the intro. Just <laughs> give me a football. Let me hit him in the head. You don't have that like in there, so you can upload it. Yeah. So th this is where we'll come in and we'll say, "Hey, this is the regular guys coming to you from La Mirada with your host Gary O, Judo Lima, and Zeke Prado. Let's go." That's our intro. We're gonna record that. Yeah. And then you would just start. You know, when it that that's the starting point for us to, you know, go ahead and start the conversation, get that going. Uh, Zeke Prado Entertainment. <laughs> Z-P-E. <laughs> we had a lot of fun putting together that beat. So. Yeah, you know what? It sounds like it's Indian or uh, like Aztec. You know, the, with the, oh, flute? Yeah. the flutes. Yeah, it was funny trying to put it together because Dave was like, all right, what do you want? What do you want? It's like, all right, man, here's what we got. I want some horns. I want, uh, and he's just like, you know how that works? Yeah, I'm like, I want like a drum like line from like, <laughs> a band from down south. That's what I want, a drum line, and let's get some flutes in there, you know. So as we're building it, and you see like the skeleton of it, the way we started off, and the way it ended, it was like completely different design. <laughs> it, it wasn't even, it wasn't even what we were looking for. Yeah, but for. once you find a beat, then you stick with it, then you, you, you fill it out. Right. right. Yeah. You, you get, well, you start just like you would on a painting. Yeah. Right? You would just uh, lay the background. And then you'd layer it and layer it and layer it. Right? Yeah. Which would be the, the drum line. I don't know if you guys knew that. I was a drummer. Oh, yeah? <laughs> in bands and in band. I was I was varsity football captain, and I was in the band. <laughs> so I had to change at halftime and go march. No, I'm kidding. I actually got an easy A because during football season, our band director... Uh, there was two of us that played, you know, varsity football. So, you know, he, during football season, we would just, we, we, he'd make us carry all the shit out, the bells and all that shit for the halftime show that they were practicing. But since we weren't involved, we did all the lifting. So we'd take all the shit out, and then, you know, all Monday through Thursday, and then Friday night, they would perform, and, you know, we were playing. So you were getting beat up and not getting beat up at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> they were being made fun of? <laughs> yeah. Charles, remember that kid Charles? Yeah, Charles Hallahan. Oh, yeah, Charles he Hallahan. Was, he was a drummer. Jones used to let him He would go in halftime? And drum at halftime. That's how they were terrible. <laughs> the only guys that ever let go at halftime was the um, the homecoming kings. If they were on homecoming court, that was the only time I ever let someone go at halftime. And it was at South Hills because, you know, they had, you know, real... It was like a big deal. It was a real man. deal, yeah. We didn't have that at same yeah, I know. Yeah. You didn't have Corvettes going around. <laughs> the Theo's pickup truck. <laughs> and the janitor cart. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, welcome to the show here, the regular guys with your host, Zeke Prado. Uh, Gary Arana. Jude Oliva. That's their stage name, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Coach O, Coach O. Coach O, Coach O's going to come with Freaky Zeke. That's taken. That's taken. Um, so, hey, we're starting this podcast as a collective of uh, coaches, teachers, businessmen, entrepreneurs, foodies, uh, to talk LA culture, talk sports, um, food, talk coaching, talk life, talk uh, hey, manhood, hey, who knows where we're going with this. <laughs> but uh, we did, we, we've been wanting to put this together for a while, right? You, yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. And uh, Coach Joe. We're bringing you on because you got a lot of 
insight to us as you know when we were youth and like you know we kind of seen it all come full circle you know so it's been pretty cool on that end you know the lessons that were taught to us we brought that back to so and um, you know what do you think those bringing you on a podcast never done one never <laughs> even seen one <laughs> this is my first first, first podcast. ever podcast you don't listen to podcasts on the way to work nope no nope, nothing nope. just listen to rock and roll and Oh, man, there's some good ones out there. Some good ones. Well, that's what you had mentioned to me, and I was like, hmm, i got to find something that interests me so I could listen. But. Yeah, I like it. It's like a fly on the ball to some of those guys that I would like to maybe meet one day, you know, Mike Tyson or Joe Rogan, you know, some of those guys that have podcasts, or just, you know, a, a coach that is starting it. it. It puts you in the room with them as you're listening to it and get familiar with them. And so are you listening to any podcasts? Uh, a couple of Eric Thomas, listen to Dr. Eric Thomas, ET. The hip hop preacher. Yes, sir. Is that Thank the guy God it's Monday. the motivator? Yes, That's sir. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he does. I think uh, listen to a couple of his things. Um, anything that I can listen to uh, that'll help me benefit myself as an educator or as a coach, I try to do. I don't get into many of them, but when I have the opportunity, I do like to tune into some of those. Well, I watch TED Talks. Does that Ted? count? Sure, yeah, yeah. That's old version. <laughs> the old version of the, of, the, of the podcast. Yeah, the TED Talks are cool. You know, I think they started that platform of education, you know, and uh, getting the information out there. And then you got to do your own research. But TED Talks have become popular in, like, the university circles or educators. So I know that uh, even high school kids are starting to do some TED Talks. So. Do they call them TED Talks or? Yeah, yeah. I, I think because they've created the platform for you to make the videos and then upload it to their their um, library. It's a good it's a good uh, opportunity for the kids to empower themselves too, and you know show showcase their their level of education and the knowledge they have that they can provide to their own peers. And and uh, I think it's a it's been a, been pretty cool to see some of those kids mm-hmm. get on there. It's pretty inspiring too, even as an older gentleman. Been able to look at some of these young, you know, the youth of America, and and watch them uh, be able to educate not just their peers, but even uh, the older generation as well. Yeah. yeah, it's intimidating to get up in front of people to talk. So can you imagine having a mic or know you're being filmed? Yeah. You know, and in front of an audience, and you got to you know either be an expert or at least be well well versed in whatever you're speaking about. So you know, it's like I don't know, you, both of you guys when you had banquets, the first time you got up in front of a banquet and had to speak. You had like 100 people in the audience. It's pretty nerve-wracking. <laughs> I know. I my mouth dried up. I couldn't even say. I kept saying um um um, and then I took I took a, a public speaking class in college because it it, it floored me. And it was a, it, they had the varsity, the JV, and freshman. And this was back when three teams were separate. So you know, the 40 kids plus their parents at each level. <laughs> I was a head freshman coach. All right, Arona, you're up, huh? <laughs> yeah, you gotta run. You gotta run your section of the. Yeah. Of the banquet, yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. Even just giving an award sometimes is is nerve wracking. Trying to remember things about the kid and highlights they had, and you know, you don't want you want to make sure that you know the kids winning an award for a reason. You want to make sure you do them justice. Plus, you don't want the parents upset at you, right? So you want to make sure <laughs> he was first team all league. You just said he was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I remember my first time speaking in front of a group was. I was in middle school. It was, uh, we used, they used to have a competition and to, uh, they re- never had a valid, what do you call that, valedictorian? They never had that, so they would have kids compete and have a speech done. So everyone 
they would have your class vote on it, and then they would bring you up like the top five or six. And um, on your speech, on your speech, and I didn't actually write my speech. Somebody wrote it for me. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that isn't that a, a theme that goes through your life, yeah. your first childhood of your life? <laughs> somebody else wrote my speech, and I was able to go as a finalist, and she was not. So the one that wrote your speech? Well, yeah. <laughs> she didn't get picked, so um, if you're out there, I know who you are. I remember, thank you. And uh, I remember just butchering the speech, though, when I got up there. I said so many things backwards. Were you in front of an audience? Yeah, you were in front of an audience yeah. at that point. The whole cafeteria packed. All looking at you. <laughs> yeah. And, they, you know, the thing is that they would—they don't know the speech, right? They don't know if you said it right or wrong, but you You, you did, because you were practicing it. <laughs> yeah, and I was up there, I was stuttering. And, man, that was my first time getting in front of a group of people yeah. Yeah, and having to do that. So um, I understand that part. You know, that, people speaking. that was probably some of the best advice I ever gotten from one of my teachers in speech class as well is uh, reminding you that you know nobody knows the topic better than you nobody understands your speech better than yourself so when you mess up that you're not supposed to show that you messed up you're supposed to be able to just power through the flow it yeah. and uh, kind of bounce back and and uh, yeah I don't remember going to those classes and doing that, that same thing man we did what well, we had uh, directive studies is what we had with Mr. Campbell in high school. And he, he taught us that. You know, he put us in front of the camera. I remember he put us in front of the camera and we didn't have to say anything. We had to record a minute, I think it was a minute or two minutes. Just stand there, make some gestures, you know, move around, you know, fix your eyebrows. But he <laughs> wasn't saying it was just he was making us feel comfortable in front of the camera. You know? You know, and uh, you didn't think you're thinking like, man, why are we taking this class? Easy A. Easy A, right? Easy A. Have my GPA, so but, I'm eligible for football. <laughs> look at us. Look at us now. Here we are in this pandemic, right? <laughs> Everybody's having to get used to being in front of the camera. Zoom, right? Zoom meetings, Zoom meetings, like crazy. They're in the classroom, the kids, teachers. Uh, all yeah. business. All business. All my meetings are Zoom right now. Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams. Yeah, Microsoft Teams, right? Yeah. You're having to get on and. Man, that's that's uh, amazing. So hey, with, with the podcast, you know we're we're sh- we're here live. We're not live, but we're here in Jude's uh, garage. So if you hear some sounds, some ambience of the city life, uh, <laughs> that's what it's about. You know, bouncing balls. Someone lifting weights, so- or he cut his toe <laughs> edging the grass. Yeah, or his team is right. getting blown out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. or he's playing Madden, that's getting his ass kicked. <laughs> Yeah, we want to introduce L.A. culture to you because L.A. culture isn't just, you know, movie stars and trying to run into Brad Pitt and Hollywood Boulevard, you know, I mean, this is L.A. culture is something, you know, that it's, that it's worldwide, right? Whether you have, you know, the food, uh, you have uh, the culture of clothing, you know. Uh, the trends. Trends, the trends high setting. socks. <laughs> you know, the, the Cortez. The hats. Hats, long t-shirts, uh, you know, you have all of that, man. You got, you got, I think, you know, when you look at L.A. in comparison to a lot of areas, how diverse Los Angeles has always been, you know. And it, like I said, it's created a culture that has been rich. And, and it's always allowed me to go into other cultures and just fit in, you know. Spending years in South Dakota... You know, right off the way, right off, right off the bat, they would tell you, you know, if you're from LA, they're, oh man, 
Eyes perk it. up, yeah, huh? Yeah, tell me about L.A. Man, what was it like, man? Everybody's getting shot. You know, it's like, wait a minute, man. It's like, that's, that's part of it. But Some of us get shot. So, but there's so much more to Los Angeles that you just need to, you know, you can't cover Los Angeles, let alone San Diego, San Francisco, you know, uh, in, in a couple weeks. I mean, you got to spend some time out in California, right? If you really want to experience California, you know, you have to have the homeboy lives in, in L.A., you have to have somebody in the suburbs with a nice pool house, right? So you can see off the, the ridge and sit, see the sunset. And the freeway. Yeah. <laughs> and the, you have to sit in traffic for a couple hours. Yeah, that, that's, that's inevitable. No matter where you're at, you're going to sit in traffic out here. Yeah. you got to drive to, to downtown L.A., 7th and 8th Street. You know, check that out, right? <laughs> Philippe's go downtown. Shopping. <laughs> go shopping at the flea market. Have a set. A sandwich from Philippe's. He is uh, uh, that gentleman's upset about his team losing. Who is yeah. it? The Rams. Must be Seattle. 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 <laughs> oh, Russell God. Wilson's having another bad game, and he's he's probably on his fantasy roster. <laughs> oh, hey, there it is. He's upset, and that's part of LA culture too. We have the Rams. We got the Raiders. With the oh, what comes base. next is the gunshots. Yeah. So we'll be hitting the deck. <laughs> You hear gunshots, we all hit the yeah. deck and grab the, the kids. Chargers, right? LA culture, you got Los Angeles Lakers and the Clippers. Dodgers? You got the Kings, you got the Dodgers, you got the Angels the of Angels. Anaheim, Orange County area. No. <laughs> you have high school football, it's humongous. It's tall, it's right? big. Baseball, you have you know, high school sports. Softball. It's huge, it's all part of the culture, right? It's, you got the food, like, you know, Coach, you mentioned Philippe's, right? You have a uh, uh, French dip sandwich from Philippe's, right? You haven't been in L.A. unless you've had one of those, right? A sandwich. Or what else is there? Pink's hot dogs. Pink's. <laughs> Tommy's. Tommy's. Right? Some of the staples. In and like, out. In and out. Like, you have to have these places. Have to. Right? Or Petrillo's Pizza. Ah. Right. You're from the San Gabriel Valley, right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we better intervene. <laughs> well, I should check on the neighbors. Hold them down or something. Oh, I think it's a little bit more than yeah, the NFL football. <laughs> uh, you know, during this distance learning, you know, some kids aren't <laughs> performing like they should. So yeah. <laughs> there's the results. Number yeah. seven. <laughs> uh, we're getting an update live. From Messiah, what do we got for score, Messiah? Seattle Seahawks winning, losing. All right, but hey, we are here on NFL Sunday again with our podcast, the regular guys covering LA culture, sports, food, drinks, cerveza, high socks, cholos, whatever you know. And uh, we want to kind of keep this going, and you know, once in a while we will bring on some guests. You know, whether we bring them in through. Uh, Zoom, or they're here live with us in uh, Judalee Studios here in Long Rod. World headquarters of the regular guys. But uh, let's get into uh, you know who we are. You know, uh, you know, kind of introduce ourselves here. Give a little bit of background on us here on the regular guys. Uh, I'm gonna let Coach O kind of open that up, and then uh, go from there. All right, I met these two guys uh, at San Gabriel back in 1996. 
Yeah. I started in spring ball in 96. 96. Or 90, 95. 95. No, because 96 you started, you already started the year. 96 is our first season, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 1996. And I became the head coach at San Gabriel High School. Um, 22 people applied for that job. Yeah. And uh, I went in, I had a full suit on, um, I had a briefcase, and I went in, and there was like 10 guys. Um, sitting, waiting to go, and I was like the second to the last one, right? And they're all in PE clothes, every one of them. <laughs> Whistles hanging and stuff, and I was like, holy shnikes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I asked, you know, the secretary, whoever I was, you know, said, I'm, I'm here for the interview, I have a seat. And so everyone looked, everyone was just staring at me like, great, you know, I'm the only guy that dressed up. <laughs> you know, because I figured it was a, you know, a, an important job, you know, so I dressed up for it. Um, so in, in that interview, there was a couple of neat stuff that happened. One of them was the uh, athletic director. Um, they, first of all, there was a panel, and there was like two seniors on it. Brady was on it, but he wasn't a senior, he was a quarterback, right? And there was a, a panel of um, a couple of teachers, the activities director, a vice principal, a principal, the athletic director. So I must have had like 10 people in front of me. So table of 10 people you know, all the way around the corner, right? Principal sit on this corner, the AD sit on this corner, and me in the middle. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I you know, started the interview and everybody had a question. So I had 10 questions right off the bat. Then they started getting the nuts and bolts. And, you know, Stan, uh, Bob Stan, the AD, you know, he said, okay, so you have three good running backs, you know, and you're talking about your offense and you like to throw the ball. Wait a minute. We had three good ones. <laughs> <laughs> what was Bob Stan thinking? All right, continue on. All right. He said, if you had three, if, yeah. I think it was hypothetical, if you had three good running backs, would you change your offense? Because I was at South Hills, and at South Hills, we threw the ball. We were like, I'm going to say 60-40 pass to run, right? But we still had a 1,000-yard back every year. So, you know, when I went in, that's what I was talking about is, you know, our offense is three receivers, sometimes a tight end, sometimes four receivers, single back. And so um, his question was, okay, so you had three good running backs. Would you change your offense to a running offense? And so I kind of sat there, you know, it was, you know, kind of a curveball. Like I wasn't ready for that. And I was like, whoa. So I thought about it and I said, no, I wouldn't. And so it was funny because when I said no, I think out of the 12 people that were there, 10 of them took down and wrote notes. I was like, oh man, did I say the wrong thing, right? So, the, so you know, Bob said, well, why, you know, why not? It's because when you play the good teams, they can stop the run. And when you fall behind, let's say you're down 14 nothing going into the fourth quarter, right? And you're still trying to pound the ball two yards, one yard, two yards with your big backs, and you can't get any yards, so you're out of the game, you lose. So, so if you're not a throwing team and you don't have pass as your DNA, you can't you can't just all of a sudden switch it on and try to throw if you've been you've been handing the ball off running you know all, all the way up into that game you get a team that that's, that can stop the run. So to have the, the pass DNA, you got to throw every day. You know backs got to catch balls out of the backfield. Um, um, all receivers, DBs, everyone knows that has to learn to catch the ball. So you have to have receiving drills every day and it has to be your DNA. If you can run the ball, it's a bonus. But you don't want to be in the situation where you get a team that can load eight, nine in the box and shut yeah. you down, 
right? Now you got to throw, and you haven't worked any, any passing because it, it takes way more practice time to be better at the pass than it does to hand the ball off, right? right? Second thing, there's only one ball. And this is what I learned from John McKay. There's <laughs> <laughs> only one ball. It's not that heavy, but only one person can carry it at a time. So then I told this panel, I said, okay. I said, so I got three good running backs or three good athletes, right? So I spread them out. One at tight end, I put one in the slot and one in the backfield. The one that's the best runner that has the best vision is the back, right? But he has to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield too, right? So now I put three guys on the field and we throw. So now we have three different options that people got to cover instead of just handing the ball off with two tight ends and trying to run with the three backs. Or that, the double wing offense where, you know, oh, we got a little misdirection, but we're going to give that, that tailback 40 carries. So I got done with the interview. I thought I blew it. I thought I, I screwed the pooch. And, uh, and so I went home, and then later on that night, I got a call from the principal. Um, and he, he told me that uh, I'd had a really good interview, um, and he wanted to come in and see me the next day. So I said, okay, maybe I made the top five or top ten or whatever, I, you know, 22 guys. You know, maybe they were cutting it down, right? So he brought me in, and he told me I was the only coach out of the 22 that said, no, I wouldn't change my offense for those three backs. Really? <laughs> you know, that got me the job. Got you the job. <laughs> because because I knew what I was talking about. I mean, and, you know, I want three targets out there. Now, you're going to stop the run. You're going to bring that safety down. Now I'm going to throw the tight end and out and my best, my other guy with the slant. You know, and, and so I talked, you know, I explained to them how the offense works versus, you know, the, using the athletes. And that's what got me the job was I, you know, I had to sit there and say, you know what? I think I blew it. But, you know, that's what I believed in and that's what I was going to do anyway. And it got me the job. Wow, that that's when I think about it, you know, Jude, that that cupboard was dry though, right? Because the class before, <laughs> they had the three running backs. Yeah, you know, they had uh, Kip Thompson, they had Mark Gomez, they had William Brooker. Brooker before he got the year hurt. before he got hurt. You know, he had Oscar Hernandez at fullback. So they had, you know, the the nucleus of backs, and they all graduated. So you came into Guys that you know, <laughs> were you know younger and new, and I think you know there was a couple sophomores that were playing varsity, like Jude and uh, Paul. Paul, you know, there's a couple of guys. But other than that, than that, most of the that collective of kids didn't even play that year, no, the year before that '95 year. So yeah, we had a lot of a lot of first time, lot of first or, time. or they played a freshman, and they didn't play a sophomore, or junior. Right. Now they were seniors. Yeah. 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 So that's. That's an interesting question, you know, because that was probably the conflict that they had, you know, because uh, kids left, kids transferred out, and, you know, because they didn't have the offense that catered to like, the back. kids. Yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting question that that was the one. <laughs> and think about it. Your guys' influence is the pass. <laughs> yeah. You guys played receiver, you played quarterback, you played quarterback, yeah. you played receivers, right? And, you know, one of my, one of my highlights of my whole career was – Picking up that newspaper every, you know, was it Monday when they put the stats out? And there we had the number one quarterback, we had the number one and two receivers, you know, in, in receptions. And think about that, that, you know, here we had three good guys all in the top top ten of the valley um, in, 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 you know, stats. You know, and, and think about before, if you had a back, you'd have one guy. Yeah. <laughs> the, the running back. Right. <laughs> so basically, you know, my, my interview, you know, <laughs> came full circle. Yeah, that was it. Because then he's had the opportunity to go coach, you know, back in San Diego and coach my nephews or coach his brother. Um, you did, you, did you run or throw? <laughs> Mainly throw, <bro. laughs> Right. 
What was it like, uh, you know, back then, 95 throwing? Like, was that happening? I know the first time we actually saw high school really throw the ball was Hart High School in, like, 98. That was when, I, you know, they were four or five wide and throwing. Yeah. That was the first time I'd really seen a team just throw. But, like, is that, was it already happening? Was it new at that time? Yeah, there was a, a sprinkling of schools that were dedicated to the pass first, right? You know, like, I think Mouse Davis, in the NFL and college was running the, the run and gun or the, the, the spread, you know, and, and that's, I, I went to a couple of coaching clinics and I bought a couple films about that, you know, about how you spread them out. There's a lot of room out there. You know, when you, when you run run formations or two tight end formations and with the fullback, you compress the, the defense. And so I learned the concept of spreading people out and giving people room and, and getting them the ball quickly. And then one of my influences was Bill Walsh in, in San Francisco. And um, Bill Wallace, I first saw him at, at Stanford. And then, you know, what he did at Stanford, knowing he didn't have the best athletes, but he was competing or beating some of the best teams, kind of like what Harbaugh did when he went to Stanford, you know, the last time he was there, um, was basically is getting rid of the ball, like don't get sacked. Mm. And so, you know, the, the quick three-step pass, um, play action pass. Yeah. I mean, my, one of my favorite plays is on first down is the throw and his play action pass because – Defense coordinators and defenses think first and ten. They want to put you in second and long, so they either bring somebody. They're trying to fill gaps, and you, you full back in the flat, a tight end in the flat, a receiver stock and go. I mean, with the play action look, with with defenses eyes in the backfield, you get a, a nice easy first down completion, and then, and it's usually pretty easy because defenses are compressed on first down, trying to shut the run down, especially in high school. Right? That when you go play action and you get that guy the ball quickly in the flat, he turns up and goes. It's usually a 15-yard gain. And that's one of my favorite things to do is that or boot out of a, out of a counter on first down because everybody likes to, to compress the box. Yeah. That, that, um, well, talking about like coming in and you had that whole philosophy, what was like the culture that you walked into? You At, know, San Gabriel? At San Gabriel? Holy cow. <laughs> All right, let, me, let me give you a story that, that blew me away. So we we win our we won our first game, right? Did we win our second game? No, or was we, Temple City our second game? Temple City was our second game. No, we won our third game. So we're two and one. Yeah. Right? And then we then we played La Puente and got our arm blown up and then it was over, right? So we go what, six in a row losses and then the last game was against Keppel and we win that game, right? So after the Keppel game, you know, we're feeling good, it was a, no, we were home. Yeah, we beat them at home. Yeah, because we, we beat them away. But anyways, uh, it was after the Keppel game. I, I don't know if it was in the locker room or something, and I heard guys talking about um, the ice cream bowl. I said, what the fuck's the ice cream bowl? <laughs> <laughs> and these kids were saying, no, you know, because you know, I guess they, they drafted, you know, you would draft guys and stuff like that, right? So the kids that would go to other sports would leave. So the basketball players would go to basketball. The wrestler would go to wrestling, right? Mm. Soccer would go to soccer. Right? And then the baseball guys would go to baseball. And then whatever's left, they had an ice cream bowl. So the season went in like the second week of November. right? And they had like, they would put a schedule together. Okay? And then they would have the ice cream bowl before, um, I think, Christmas break. So even, even all the way through Thanksgiving, they would play. Then Thanksgiving break, then they'd come back. And they'd, they'd continue to play all the way until um, Christmas break. And so, you know, I had never heard about it. You guys played other sports, so you guys probably never had to deal with this, right? <laughs> Ice cream bowl. Yeah. <laughs> so so here, here's what it was, right? It was the coaches that were there or, or one of the PE teachers, I don't know who it was, um, would put everybody up and they'd put them in brackets and then they'd, they'd make a schedule and then they would play like seven-on-seven seven flag. 
and they'd have a tournament, and then they'd play for the tournament, like uh, in um, oh, in December, yeah, right? Yeah, and so um, you know that was six period, but they stayed in the football class, yeah. and that's what they would do, right? So you know, I heard that, and I said, "What? What are you talking about?" So we're in the weight room <laughs> on Monday. <laughs> Season's over. We're getting ready for next season. We're in the weight room three days a week, and we're on the field two days a week. We're working our stuff. And they looked at me like, what are you talking about? I said, ice cream bowl. That's what losers do. I said, I haven't been home after the second week of November in 10 years. I've been in the semifinals. I was trying to play for a championship. So we played every year we played in Thanksgiving week. You know, and here you guys are talking about an ice cream bowl. What are you talking about? <laughs> Culture, right? Culture. <laughs> They were done. They already figured out after the second week of the season, you know, the last game, the second week of November, they were ready to have their, their fun for the off season. Oh, and, I, you know, I'm always in the playoffs. You know, right. South Hills, we were playing for titles. You know, we weren't, we weren't playing for ice cream. Right. I would remember that. I, I always use that term. You, you told us once about playing uh, playing in the playoffs and eating uh, turkey sandwiches because we never we were practicing during Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, so I would oh, that always stuck with me. Like that's what I always wanted was, uh, you know, turkey sandwiches. I never wanted actual turkey because I knew at that point that we were playing. We were still. Yeah, that was the third. That was the second round. Yeah, yeah I mean, you got by the first round. Right. Yeah, that was that. That's when it's fun when you know when the kids. You got to go up. You want to have an early practice on Thanksgiving Day because you know you want to get the kids back to their family. Right, and sometimes the moms would bring turkey sandwiches for everybody. That you know, every, you know, the linemen they'd take four of them, you know, but and then they'd go eat dinner that night too. <laughs> but no, it was it was a it's a different it's a different level. And I mean, I don't know when we went to the playoffs. Remember, I stopped practice and I made everyone come over. Said, you know, there's only a handful of teams that are practicing right now. You know, like you have to make you got to understand, you know, to get there. That, yeah, it's it's not everybody. You know, you know, to get there, you got to get there. And then once you're there, you know, you're elite. You know, other people aren't practicing. They're turning their shit in already. You know, they're all in their other sports, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a, it was a, it was a, a big, um, I guess, not an awakening. I knew that, that the culture wasn't, wasn't about, you know, playing for football and winning championships. I knew the baseball team did. Uh, I knew the volleyball teams did. The badminton teams did, you know. But, <laughs> but the football was, you know, like an afterthought. And, and yeah. so... To me, you know, I had to I had to teach everybody what what it was to, to, to become a winner and, and how you win and how you work all year to win. I mean, Temple City kicked our ass. Was it forty eight to th- uh, six? Wow, forty eight seven, right? That first bad. year, right? Yeah. We worked on stopping that very offense from the week we started going back out in the field. You guys were in other sports, right? I was already working how to stop the veer <laughs> in November. <laughs> for next year, <laughs> September. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, but I mean, you know, how many, you know, people didn't understand, you know, what it takes to win is, you know, you got to do stuff. Like when I was at South Hills, you know, Bogan and I, we would run offenses against our defense that we knew we were going to face during the, the season in the summer. So we'd run, oh, you know, they like to run the NCAA route, you know, so we'd run an NCAA route, we'd do like 10 reps every practice. So we knew Covina ran it, we knew Northview ran it, we knew teams we were going to play ran it, you know, and, and, that's, and that's where I learned that was from Bogan at South Hills, that, you know, we, you do stuff in the summer that you're going to see, and it's funny, like, you do it in the summer, then you know how you go to your week-to-week game plan, right, and, you know, you don't do, st- all of a sudden you come to that week that you're playing the, the NCAA route that you worked all summer to stop, right? And was, the kids, I would notice the kids right away, they would, they would react to it right away. So sometimes, you know how you put your game plan in? So we're going to do this. And if something you really haven't worked on and it's kind of rusty, sometimes you got to shit can it before you can even get it out for game days. Like, no, that's gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that didn't work. The kids didn't get it, right? Well, when I was at South Hills, I learned 
that you game plan it in the summer, and then and all of a sudden you're in week seven, and then you're running that game plan from the summer, and the kids would pick it up like two or three reps, and then they, oh yeah, yeah, and then boom, they were on it. I was like, holy cow! It was like a, a, a mind blowing for me to see how that, you know, before it was like, you know, I just did week to week, you know, and I'd just scream at the kids more if they didn't get it, you know. <laughs> it, it was, it was, and that's what I started when I got to, you know, San Gabriel's my first head coaching. Um, job and so you know I, I had I had stuff my notes and my, my playbooks written down that you know I was going to stop the veer you know I was going to stop the double wing I was going to stop the counter I was going to stop you know the flood route you know stuff that kicked our ass that year I we worked it all summer and I don't know if you guys realized it but that's no. what we were doing is that we were stopping the veer we were stopping the flood we were stopping the boot rollout we were stopping the stuff that kicked our ass you know yeah no I didn't even think about that stuff when when it was happening you know, until now, you know, now I'm, I realize what was actually happening with X and O's because I was, uh, you know, just a kid that played. You know, I just played football. You know, I didn't ever know scheme and 4-3. You know, I, I remember growing up and they'd put me on corner. I was like, oh, cool, what am I doing out here? You know, like I'm not, you know, playing D-line and trying to rush the quarterback. Like, what do I do? I have, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, so like football in that sense, for me, you know, the X and O portion didn't come in until probably my first year of college. So, um, at, at, uh, seals, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That, that's when you started hearing more, more and more scheme talk, right? Understand, yeah. Like there yeah. was actually some, some education, even like science behind it. You know, like why, why a line at twelve yards? Why a line at five yards? You know what I mean? Like there's all of that that goes into it. So, um, I'm gonna flip and get Jude here to kind of give an intro on, on, you know, his uh, who he is and. For that uh, bit, man, yeah. Yeah, Judo Leva, um, aka I guess the little Cocho. <laughs> <laughs> took after took the name after Coach Arona uh, when I decided to take up coaching as a career. Um, I've been really, really fortunate, really blessed um, in my career to be coached by some very, very good, uh, very good coaches, very good mentors. Um, Coach Arona being one of them that got kind of got that, and it just goes back to what I. I think what I originally thought of Coach Rona when I first met him was, uh, you know, a winner. What a dick. A winner. Oh, that's part of it, too. No, I'm just kidding. A lot of updowns. More of a, you know, he was he, he was a winner. Um, he was a forward thinker. Just like that question you, you said, I mean, that that was probably one of one of the best, best answers I think someone could have gave because it's like one of those, at that time, people weren't thinking that way. And, uh, and as you look now, everybody talks about the evolution of football and all these cool RPOs and things. There were people doing that before it was even cool. Yeah. I know I know we were doing that what, 10 years ago, mm -hmm. <laughs> 10 years ago, and now all of a sudden it's cool, so everybody's doing it. But um, just that forward thinking, um, that working to win, like, how, like you don't just show up and you don't just show up and be successful. You have to, you have to grind every day. You have to bring your work ethic every day. You have to... Make sure that you're that you're on point every single day at every single opportunity um, to be the best that you can be, and then obviously those things will tie into success and winning. Um, I think those are the things that I, I took the most from Coach Arona, um, and then I moved on and was really blessed to be coached by. Oh, I think is probably one of the one of the best uh, offensive minds that I've been around, which uh, uh, Chuck Lyon. Um, and surrounded by his staff. With, I mean, come on, man. We're talking about some of the guys that are yeah. on the staff. <laughs> they're on are, TV right They're now. on TV. They're <laughs> making millions of dollars. And um, they're head coaches at different places. They coach in the NFL. Um, shoot, 2J's the 
offensive line coach, uh, one of their top recruiters for University of Virginia. Dose is considered one of the best strength coaches in America. Yeah. I mean, we were surrounded by greatness, not even knowing it yeah. as kids, and 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 just taking those influences and taking them into my coaching career. Um, when I did decide to coach, um, you know, I was I went back, like uh, Zeke said, went back, and I decided to coach at my alma mater at San Gabriel High School. That was my first uh, football job. Um, I was kind of went in to be a I guess an assistant and turn into an OC and, you know, and, and things just rolled with it. And, and, uh, you know, a couple of years later, I was fortunate to take over that program and, and, uh, be the head coach of that program, which I'm still super proud of. Um, I think we were one of those teams that, uh, were always looked at as a team that, um, didn't have very much, but we always overachieved, um, and got the most out of those kids. And I think again, all those influences I had in coaching went through there. Then a couple after, I think, 10 seasons, I ended up at Maranatha High School, private Christian school in uh, Pasadena. Did that for a season. Um, left to go finish my credential. Ended up at Buena Park High School. Um, and that was a whole different whole different ball game. I've never been out to Orange County. And, uh, man, Orange <laughs> County, is a, is, it's a business, even in high school. You know, you get to see, you know, some of those tiger dads and... Shopping and, the kids around. You know, shop, what do you got? Yeah, what do you got? It's a whole different What show. do you have? What can you do? Let me see your office. They want to know your X's and O's. Yeah, that was the first time. How many passages you going to throw The first time I dealt with that stuff. And, uh, you know, my, I never heard of... I'm going to be honest with San Gabriel Valley. Nobody really talks about how many stars you have and how many offers you have and... You get to Orange County and the first all thing, stars. you know, everybody's talking about, I'm a four-star, I'm a three-star, I'm a five-star. I have kids, you know, I was fortunate, really fortunate to coach a kid that was a, was a four-star. Uh, some of them had him at a five-star um, athlete who was super humble. Um, but that was probably one of my first guys to coach like that. And seeing those things and just, you know, he guy was, I think he had over 40 Division One scholarship offers. So dealing with that stuff was a whole different ball game and, you know, that's kind of uh, what I've been through coaching. Uh, just recently, I took some time off to be with my family, and this year uh, decided to step back into coaching. Obviously, I don't know how that's working out because we're in the pandemic, but uh, coaching at Orange High School as the offensive coordinator. And, you know, one of the, one of the cool things, I guess, blessing in the sky is being able to bring Zeke on the staff. It's been years since we've been able to reconnect and do those things, but... That's kind of that's kind of how uh, my coaching my coaching uh, little stops and uh, how my career so far. Um, played at College of the Canyons, played at San Gabriel High School, and then uh, Dakota State University in Madison, South Dakota. And yeah, so when he talks about South Dakota, I understand that that's why I was only there for two years. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's different different culture out there, man. Culture is what a culture. Cold. Cold. Sure. Cold. Culture. Culture. <laughs> yeah. So two two coaches and man, I'm making full that full circle, man. Coach O, Coach Arona, coaching out in '95, '96, or '96, '97, and then Jude, ten years at San Gabriel, and uh, yeah. Kind of just building on that culture, right? You said that winner, that win, that winning, winning mentality, you know. And, and I don't think, you know, I don't know, man. Growing up, you know, didn't see a lot of it, you know, like a, a different, different level of, of drive and winning, you know. Like, you know, when I think about it, 
and that that's uh, that's why I think for me it was just I was just a player. I just played. I just played. You know, I competed, um, but I didn't know. You know, there was a formula to win. You know, there's that, and I, and I, that's one of the things that you know, covering and being able to get out there to have other coaches. That there's a formula. You know, when it comes to winning and coaching, and uh, and it just doesn't. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. It just developed, or it's passed on, right? And it's shared, and it's adopted, and it's you know, and when you name some of the coaches, coach, you're connected, you know, Chuck Lyons. I mean, so that that's all, you know, full circle, and all that that the winning formula to get down to us, and then trickle down to everybody else that we've been around, and maybe they can see that that's why we you know we're driven so much in football, why we love it so much, and have so much fun with it, you know, because because we understand it, right? We understand football. Yeah, they always ask that question. You know, why? Why football? Why? You know, we don't get paid a ton. You know, you get nothing. Actually, you lose money coaching in California. <laughs> this isn't Texas. You know, you're not getting paid 100k to coach. You're Texas. not sponsored by a car dealer. No, nothing like that. You're making pennies. The tractor company. <laughs> right. Those. Those. You know, you in a quarter an hour or whatever it was. You know, just to coach. So you do it for the love. You do it for the passion, man. It's, for the kids. For the kids. Uh, and now, you, you know, there's, the stipends are bigger now than they were probably, you know, when you were at San Gabriel. The head coach probably made 2500 and <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to split $1,500 stipends. You're a freshman coach, so you only get half. <laughs> like, we have to have a car wash. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, you get All you kids bring $5 tomorrow. All right, uh, there you go, coach. <laughs> Five hundred dollars. You had a staff. You had, you had a lot of coaches out there. I tried. Player. I tried to get. Yeah. I tried to get as many people that I could, yeah. you know, to show up and, and to be there. And a lot of the guys that I, I brought were uh, from the outside, mm-hmm. you know, that had been successful. So that I knew that, you know, you know, when you're successful, you just, you know, you just, you know, that's that confidence that just comes out, you know. Um, and like what you were talking about with uh, Coach Coach Lyon, I spent four years with him at Pasadena City College. And uh, I learned a lot, you know, there was, you know, some coaches at, at PCC that, you know, there were, you know, USC coaches, Washington State coaches, Arizona State coaches, some of the guys were in the NFL, and a lot of their friends were NFL guys. So we had NFL guys would come to practice, and, and they'd sit in the, our coaches' meetings, and we'd talk with them. And, you know, I, I learned so much at, at Pasadena City College, and Chuck Lyon is the one I learned, um, you know, my offense through, where it really expanded it. Um, he was our defensive coordinator when I got there, and I was the receiver coach, and he was the DB coach. So we'd go against each other every day in practice, yeah. one-on-one, seven-on-seven, everything, you know, blocking, stock blocking, everything. And his guys were killing me at first. And I would I would ask him questions after practice. I'd sit in his office and say, you know, what is he looking at? Why is that guy – why don't we try to run a slant? He's already there. He's already on our inside hit. He's got a chest. Came right up, head turned, boom, jump inside. And so, you know, I learned all the intricacies and the, the nuances of, of teaching the, the positions to get guys open um, from him. And so I started teaching stuff where we would run a slant and we would run widen like we were trying to right one and out. And we, we'd, we'd open our, our hips and shoulders that way because what Chuck told me after practice two days ago, <laughs> I'd work on it with my kids. Next thing you know, their DBs are jumping the out. We're running a slant and practice and going 80 yards for a touchdown. He's screaming at his kids. And the kids are pointing at my guys saying <laughs> he was breaking it out. <laughs> and Chuck just looked at me and I just smiled. I said, yeah, we were. <laughs> but I taught my kids, all right, you're looking at that. We're doing this and we're running a slant, you know. And it was stuff like that where 
when I got to you guys, you know, I had I had some really good influences and some really good coaches that, you know, were they knew the little stuff, the little things that would make you how to reach block, you know, how to double team and work up to the second level. Um, you know, what passes are open against what zone? How do you, how, where do you settle? You wait for that guy. He makes the mistake. He goes this way, you settle here. He, he drops back, you settle here. You know, there was stuff like that at, at Pasadena City College where I learned, you know, the nuances of coaches, of coaching from the coaches that were, you know, have done it for years. I mean, they were masters, masters. Right. And they were all winners. Right. You know, and so when I got to, to San Gabriel, you know, I had, you know, some network of guys. I had, you know, a guy from South Hills. I had some guys from Rosemead. I coached at Rosemead High School. Uh, so I had some influences, and I had some kid from John Glenn, Coach Teal, uh, who was a successful running back, you know. And so I brought these guys with, with me when I went there to, to try to, you know, give you guys some, some you know, quality um, people and coaches that, that could give you guys what you guys needed because we needed a lot of coaches. <laughs> we, yeah, you could, we needed help. You could, we needed some could, milk. Uh, you, could definitely, you can definitely see um, the shift in now, you know, granted being there, and I, and I was there a little bit earlier because my sister was a varsity cheerleader mm -hmm. and we used to go watch her. So I had to go sit through some of that painful memory of football. <laughs> I think they had, what was it, 36 they, straight games they had, of losing or yeah. something like that. So I remember, uh, I remember watching that stuff and being like, there's no way I'm coming to school here. You know, this is when uh, we were playing Rebels and... You know, Rebels we were, were winners. We were, we were winners, and we were being bred to be Rosemead, Rosemead Panther kids. And and uh, if you're good enough, Bishop Amon kids or whatever it was. And um, I remember, Paul. Yeah. I remember yeah. my mom, my mom telling me, "Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited that all these coaches want you to go play at different places, but uh, we don't go to two different schools here. We only have one car, and <laughs> you you go where you go where we go. And you know, I knew real quick that I was going to be. Matador, and, and, uh, I didn't know how to take that at first. Um, but then when uh, right before the right before our freshman season, I think uh, we got a hold of some of the guys that were really good in the area and recruited um, Yeah, I got them like William Brooker and some of those guys that you know could have went anywhere else, and they were so talented and decided to come to San Gabriel and then brought you know Zeke and and that the, his junior high. We all kind of linked up there and uh, kind of started. We started that freshman class pretty pretty successful. Mm -hmm. I mean, for a San Gabriel team, it was really successful. And and then uh, playing that sophomore year with all the varsity guys, and um, you know, only winning like think two games or three games, and seeing how rough that was, and then just seeing like when you got hired and the people you brought on, and you could see like that culture shift of like like these men that were invested in us. They they actually this is probably the first time I ever heard somebody say like we were gonna win. Like actually tell us that we were gonna win on Friday night, and and I remember the the preparation is what, what is was gonna separate us, and I never heard I've never heard at that school a coach so confident about winning, so I mean I haven't I guess uh, I've always been one of those uh, <laughs> um, loyal people that just believe in the people that invest in myself, so. I was like, well, if he says we're winning, I guess we are. Hey, let's go. I had no other way to think. We're, we're going to show up. Might as well win. Coach, I, I think about that stuff. You know, you're coming to a group of kids, you know, that you're trying to connect with. And, like, you know, you were there, too. You were a football player in high school. You know, culture. Like, was is that different, trying to connect to a group of kids from, you know, San Gabriel? Or did you feel like you can relate to us, connect to us? 
Because that always interests me, you know, that culture part of like, you know, coming into, um, you know, maybe a culture of football, you know, wasn't as important to a lot of people, you know, because I didn't have, you know, football wasn't important to me. You know, I didn't even know that I really wanted to play college football until someone says, hey, you can play college football. And it was just the same thing. Hey, you can win. You're like, oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, and and so, like, your upbringing, you know, was that, you know, part of it, you know, for yourself to, to give that back to us, you know? Did you see, kind of see us and see yourself? You know, what was that, was that like? Was that happening? Yeah, my, uh, my parents took us to Mexico when I was 10 and 12 years old. And my, I had a, my grandma lived there, and I had an uncle that lived there. Uh, I was in Sinaloa. It's a small town called Concordia, um, about two hours from Mazaclan. So we'd fly into Mazaclan, and we'd get in the back of a steak bed truck and bounce all the way for two hours to this little town called Concordia. And uh, uh, my mom would, you know, make us do chores every day, or every Saturday. All our kids, all our friends would be out of the neighborhood. Come on, come on, play. We'd bounce with the balls, throwing the football around, and we had to do our chores before we'd go play. If we didn't go out and do our chores, right, and we went out and played, and they and my parents were working, and when they got home, um, and if we weren't done, we got the whip, right? We got the cinto, right? So um, my mom would always tell us, you know, like, yo, you guys don't know how good you have it, right? You know how we tell our kids nowadays? We don't know how good you have it, right? So she would make us, part of our chores was this. We had to clean the windows every week, and we had to vacuum the, the uh, screens. It's like, what the heck? You know, our other kids would just do vacuum, dust, Toilets and dishes, and that was it, right? We had to do trash, we had to do the windows, we had to do the vacuuming, we had to pick up and dust the carpets outside every day, right? And, and you know, we'd have to, one would have to hold, and I, I was a baseball player, so I could swing the bat and dust it, <laughs> right? And it was just like, we did like from A to Z to clean. We, you know, we were, our, our house was spotlit every, at, every Saturday at 2 by 2 p.m., right? Because we wanted to get out and play with everybody, right? And so I didn't understand, you know, how, how my mom would, was so um, bent on, how good we had to clean, right? And then she took us to where she grew up, my, my grandma's house, the house that she, my mom grew up in, right? It's in, it's in Concordia, Sinaloa, Mexico, right? Yeah. It was a, four uh, brick walls with cutouts for windows, no windows. Man. Okay? First time I met my grandma, yeah. she's about five foot, 4'11", five feet, about 85 pounds, right? She had a, a dress on, she had a hair in a ponytail. She had glasses hanging off her nose. She had a, a, a apron, yeah. and she had a towel in one hand and a broom that had the handle cut in the other hand. And I walked in the house, and it was a dirt floor. Yeah. I went, okay, and th this was like 19, see, I was 10 the first time I went there, yeah. so I was born in 61, so it was 1971. So as we walked in the house, you know, we're bringing our suitcases, we're walking in, my grandma's behind us, knocking the dust off of us down and sweeping the, 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 the layer of dust that we just brought up out the window. Huh. Okay, we stayed a month in that house in Mexico in the middle of summer. Oh, <laughs> middle of July. No middle AC, of, no, no <laughs> central air. Okay, get this. <laughs> bugs at night Ooh, man. would come in the windows, mosquitoes, and we had, they had these bugs called abichuchis, right? And they would pee on you and they would be like an acid. And it'd give you like ronchas, like you know, like yeah. you, you know, okay. So I don't know what they what they're called now, but they call them abichuchis, right? So you'd hear them coming in, and you would just you 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 would sleep the whole night 
underneath like a mummy, like yeah. nothing sticking out because you didn't want to get stung or peed on, right? And we were on cots. So like the cots would make noise. You could hear, you know, dogs running through the streets at night. And we had a wood door, dirt floor, and nothing in the windows. I was like, oh my God, right? That first Saturday, we got back and we had to clean. My sister, brother, and I, we were like the seven dwarves. We were whistling, all happy with windows, <laughs> doing, doing the screens, you know, like, we were like, hi-ho, hi-ho, you know, oh, we got windows, oh, we got carpet, oh, you know, we got tile floor, whoa, hey, we got a toy that flushes. They had an outhouse in yeah. the back of the house that we had to go to the bathroom. The shower was a, 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 a water hose, and it was only cold water. Oh, boy. <laughs> So I, I, it, it was a, an eye-opening experience for me. So one of the things that happened in this trip was, you know, I was a big Dodger fan growing up. So you know how you go to Helmet Weekend back then in the day and you get every, every, everybody got a helmet. So I had the, the Dodger helmet. I actually had three of them because, you know, my, my dad would take me Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I'd get three helmets, right? Mm -hmm. And then it, I would put, like, my favorite Dodgers number in the back. I'd buy one of those stickers and put number seven for Jaeger, yeah. you know, number six for Garvey, or 22 for Buckner, right? And I, I had, so I brought two of these helmets with me. I brought like two gloves. I brought like a, a bag of baseballs in my, in my suitcase, right? Um, and I brought like like four Dodger hats. You know, like I had, well, actually it was two Dodger hats and like two of my Little League hats, you know, like the teams I was on. One was the Giants, and don't tell me why. <laughs> but anyways, um, so when we were leaving, my dad came to get us, right? And so when we were leaving, all the kids every day, they couldn't wait for us to go outside and play because I had all the gear. I had a bat, I had gloves, I had balls, I had hats, I had, you know, whatever. We used cardboard for bases, right? And we would play out in the street, and they all loved it, right? And so, you know, my dad said, all right, so he left. He made me give my gear to all the kids in the neighborhood. So, all right, which one of you likes a Dodger? Oh, me, 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 me. So he gave him a Dodger hat. He gave him a Dodger helmet. He gave him the bat. Who's the best hitter? And I would say, that guy is. He gave him the bat. Who's the best fielder? That guy's got a good arm, you know. And so my dad left all my gear there, and he said, don't worry. I'll get you new stuff when we get back. And I was like, oh, my God. So that was all my stuff, right? I left it. So two years goes by, and then at 12 years old, we go back out there, and we stay another month out in Groundhouse. But now we know what to expect. That first one was a culture shock trip, right? Yeah. But that second trip, when we got back out there, I left about a dozen balls, hard, hard ball baseballs, right? We got back there. All the baseballs, the covers had come off, and they were taping them. And it was the strings would be coming off, and they'd be lopsided. I said, what happened to the baseballs, right? Well, they didn't play on grass. You played on, the streets weren't, you know, pavement. It was like hard, compressed dirt, but there was rocks and stuff in them, right? And that's where we would play. And they just kept playing there for two years. When I got back, all those balls, they were still, they weren't together, but they were all taped together. My hat had, like, stains on it, or, you know, where you put your hands and, and it starts getting, uh, the, the top comes off and just see the cardboard inside yeah. of the lid? That's how my hats looked. Plus, these guys wore them out to work or wore them out in the fields, yeah. right? And I was like, these guys, they all had their stuff. The only thing that looked decent was the, the baseball, the, the blue baseball plastic helmet. But it was cracked because someone had got mad at them and threw it on the ground. And they were telling me the story, right? And so I go back at 12 years old, and now all these kids had the same gear. Nobody got anything new, you know, because they were all poor. And, and they had all this gear. And I was like, oh, my God. So I brought more gear. My dad actually had me load up more. And so when I left that second time, I left them with more stuff. And, and that's like where it started with me. My parents, you know, supported, you know, my family in Mexico. Yeah. But I always have to go to the um, pharmacy, the pharmateca, yeah. and get money orders. My mom would make me go money. I, I'd be carrying $500 sometimes to the, to the pharmacy. My yeah. mom would put it in, you know, put the 500 in the, 
in an envelope and put it in my pocket and said, you know, and she wrote 500 on the outside of it. And she didn't tell me what it was. I could have got mugged walking to the farm <laughs> thick. I, I didn't know. <laughs> and I have a quarter for each $100 money letter, you know, so I have, you know, uh, five quarters. And I was like, there's this one, here's this one, here's this one. Then that's what we would send to Mexico to, to my mom and dad would take care of my mom's family. And so they always did charity work and stuff like that. So, you know, when I, when I started coaching, you know, like I would always tell the kids that, that didn't have money because they were the ones that, you know, we, all right, you guys get your cleats off because we're going to start, you know, running around and doing routes and stuff like that. And then, you know, you'd see two or three kids that would be slipping during routes and they had their vans on or their, uh, you know, whatever, you know, uh, invitation pennies, right? And, but they had those on. So then I'd pull that kid aside and say, hey, do you need cleats? And he'd say, yeah, my parents can't afford them. So I would buy them cleats. And so, like, you know, a lot of the kids like playing for me because I always did things for them above and beyond, you know, just playing football or just being a coach. And it was instilled in me, you know, on my visits and, my, and seeing where my parents came from and how poor they were and how they were supporting their family that, you know, it was just a given to give back. Right. You know, so it was, it was uh, when I got to San Gabriel, it was like exactly the, the situation I wanted to be in, you know. Yeah, yeah, you bought me my first pair of cleats, yeah. <laughs> I have cleats. I use those old, uh, those old um, Jordans from, or the Dion's from uh, Carlos. Carlos <laughs> Sanchez gave me. Yeah, we just, we just passed them down because I finally fit into them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so your turn, <laughs> there were 12s and you were an 8s. Yeah, that, you know, see, and that, you know, that's where you talked about, you know, you give back and the stipend ain't enough. You know, but you got to do it, right? It's it's got to be done. It's got to be done, and and no matter where you're at, you got, you know, you got some kids that have need, you know, and that's important. And I realized that, you know, when that was happening for me, and you know, even with baseball, and they bought me a glove, and you know, I was one of those kids that, uh, you know, the coach would just drive by the house, you know, and, and pick me up, and I'd be wearing jeans and a t-shirt, and go to practice and play in my jeans, you know, and then, like I said, slide around in, in, in the bands, and and uh, it was, I remember it was, we played for the Monterey Park Angels, it was a traveling ball team, you know, and I was just, you know, a kid that I, you know, I didn't have all the gear now, or, you know, like they have now. You can't walk on the field without a $350, dollars bat. Yeah. <laughs> You know, or have a batting cage in, the, in your backyard. Yeah, on a pitching machine. Uh, one of my friends uh, brought it up the other day. Because <laughs> we were talking about what we had, and then she's like, yeah. It, like, yeah, like you guys didn't have a batting cage in your backyard. And I was like, oh. You have a batting cage in the backyard now. Oh. Yeah. You know, you, but you do those things to help, you know, I mean, one, get the edge, right? I and mean, that's why sports is different now than it was. 20 years ago than it was 40 years ago. It's just, yeah, the evolution of, of sport, man. But And then Jude, you got to stay, you know, coaching, right? And for 10 years at San Gabriel with the same type of kid. Same type of kid. Um, yeah, we started, uh, I know, uh, I mean, obviously going through, uh, just being an assistant coach, seeing the need of what our kids need. Obviously being from the same neighborhood, you know exactly what they need growing up the same way. I think I had a, I always say I kind of had an unfair advantage because I had the lay of the land before it It was. I got a lot of kids that um, <clears throat> normally wouldn't go to San Gabriel, come back to San Gabriel um, to play for, you know, to play for myself. And um, I think a lot of that had to do with the same thing is just uh, understanding who they were, what they were about, where they came from, um, going above and beyond. Being, and this is before, you know, I, I know when I first started, I was still a student. 
I was still a college student, so I was still, I was still just like them. I was living with my mom and, you know, going out and coaching and doing those things. But any little thing that um, we could do, like we would do for them. Um, I know when I became the head coach later on, we started that booster club. Um, and I, everybody always asked me, how come my booster club was all women? And I said, I was kind of strategically done that way because, um, you know, who who loves kids more than their parents, than moms, their moms? Yeah. You know, I mean, dad loves you too, but you're not going to get that same <laughs> driving uh, effect. Go to the booster club meeting or go <laughs> drinking with my friends. <laughs> you're going to lose a lot of dads. <laughs> so we, so I realized really quick that, you know, the women were the ones that were going to go above and beyond for the kids. So I strategically kind of brought in the women and, and had them run my booster club. And I mean, just some of the things we were able to do for those kids and, I mean, they always got fed, whether it was like Wednesday practice, we'd have Wednesday night practices. Uh, which we feed them after. Yeah, yeah. we'd have family day, which we call a family day, where we would, you know, their family were able to come watch them practice. Um, we would do everything situational live under the lights, um, feed them dinner at the end and feed their parents as well. Um, something that we brought over to Buena Park as well. Um, and you always had those kids that, no one would show up, so you'd have to be there for them. Yes, you know, definitely. You would, you would, that's the ones you'd look for in the crowd. It's like, okay, so-and-so and so-and-so, no one's here for him. All right, so I'll make sure that they – I put them with the family or, you yes. know, we, we, we adopt them in and, and bring them in. Yes. That, that was so, that's so important. Because, you know, when you have nobody there for you, man, it sucks. We would uh, – <laughs> I know I would go and take random trips to uh, – random trips to Nike outlets, uh, Ross or whatever, and just buy up everything I could find football-wise and – and just have it have it in the in our our football office because I always knew a kid needed gloves, cleats, whatever it is. I know, pieces, yeah. I know they still the kids at Orange say my trunk's the big five. <laughs> I, I'm handing cleats out of the back of my trunk. What and, size? Yeah, stuff like that. But um, yeah, just I mean it, it's it's ironic, but it's all it's you know it's the same problems, uh, just different years. Um, and you start seeing that like those kids need the investment as well. That because they are going through a cycle and you know hopefully you know i know like coach arona was for i know for you for me um that cycle breaker mm-hmm. i figured you know i i'd be the same person for them and hopefully i'd get somebody to to break that that cycle in their family so that they can go off and be successful and um you know and do that for somebody else and like we always talk about paying it forward and and doing those things and that's kind of that was like the biggest out of all the things that we accomplished and uh with winning and, and stuff like that those are always my my favorite or when my I, when i get those invitations or i or i uh see like the uh, celebrations that they send where they graduate from college or you know or, or you know they're getting married you see them having kids now and them investing in their kids i think those are the proudest moments i've had since and i'm just seeing them with the san gabriel kids so now here, I think in a couple of years, we'll start seeing that with the point of our know, kids. Of our kids and going on and continuing forward. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's been that's been good, man. That paying it forward and understanding that piece, you know, keeping that going, like I said, breaking the cycle. Um, you know, and I we'll take that like lead into uh, you know my intro here of football and coaching and and. Uh, you know, I grew up in a household, you know, single mom raising four kids. Um, and what I n- knew about my dad was very little because he passed away when I was two years old. 
Um, and I always ask my brother questions and he kind of fills me in that like my dad, you know, uh, from Mexico, uh, grew up in Nayarit or Tepic area. And then, uh, they lived in TJ and then they came into East LA and then, uh, East Los, East Los <laughs> right there on, uh, Whittier and Saybrook. And it was, uh, uh, my grandma and then my dad, his brother, sister, um, and um he loved sports from what my brother could tell me like he loved football he loved track he baseball you know and um when he was at garfield he ran track and field i don't think he played football in high school though i think he, he just ran track um and then he when he turned 18 he went to the military went to the reserves was was um uh stationed at fort hood um and that's where he met my mom. And she well, was Texas. from, yeah, in Texas. So my mom was from Austin. And my family had been in Austin forever. You know, my cousins will tell you they're Tejanos. They're not Mexican know, or, Mexican, or, yeah. or Texas. Texans, right. They yeah. speak Spanish, but they've never been to Mexico because yeah. we had been in that area the entire time, right? So when, when Texas was Mexico and that whole exchange and, you know, how all that, how that works, that, um, you know, taking the, the, uh, their nationality and giving them, you know, a naturalization birth certificate and, you know, on there it says race, it says white as opposed to Mexican or, you know. Because they were Texans. They were Texans, <laughs> man. Yeah. And so that's how my mom and dad met and then they moved to California and then, you know, my older brother when he was younger, man, this guy was in everything. My sister was, it was track and then from track to baseball, baseball, football, wrestling my old my older brother so like to me he was always like the super athlete you know and i couldn't understand why but uh, he had that influence on my dad you know in, in life um and so i knew all those things about my dad like had an idea uh, but i didn't understand why football why i love football so much or i love baseball so much you know just just going because that was my my outlet you know that was for me to you know when i went outside it was just me and the ball me and this bat you know for hours we would, we would just played you know growing up right there in um, a couple years in Monterey Park when Inez and then moving to Rosemead uh, we used to just play in the driveway or we play in the abandoned crack house across the street <laughs> I can remember they had a that house it was, a, it, was a, it was abandoned and boarded up for years and we used to play out there and it, it was just like Sandlot man we had the fence that was the home run fence uh, you remember hitting balls into the neighbor's yard and hitting, just having to hit a woman one time. They took our ball away, you know, things like that. But as kids, we grew up, you know, just on the street playing football, playing till the lights turned off or till mom, you know, called you in. And so growing up, I always had a passion for football. just didn't know where it came from, you know, until my, my brother started to kind of fill me in and uh, tell me about that. And so uh, as I'm playing, you know, going into high school, playing sports, playing multiple sports, and then... Uh, what did you play? You played football? Played, I played football, uh, baseball, and then my senior year was just soccer. You know, I should have been doing other things, but... Like you track know, also? Track. You know, I did, like, you know, recreation track growing up, right? Um, you know, that was um, a little different than the AAU stuff they had. You know, it was just kind of city. It was city, kind of city league, track and field. You know, 
you'd have um, meets, you know, on the weekends and play other elementary schools or middle schools. And, uh, but I was never like in the competitive travel teams like that. You know? So mom was always working, you know, and I just played like for the recreation. Right? And that, that's where we first met Jude, because Jude played at the uh, uh, Dante Williams. How old were you guys when you guys met? Probably like nine, ten yeah. years old. Wow. This is how we met. And I don't know if it was Jude, but I know somebody on his team tackled me into the fence uh, during flag football. And we were no tackling, right? <laughs> there was no tackling flag football. We were fifth grade. Yeah. I remember coming around the corner and, oh, got tackled. My ear was bleeding. I got knocked out for a second. Uh, it might have been his cousin because uh, we were actually on the same Pop Warner team at the time. So we had we had knew each other. Uh, his cousin played Vargas, Vargas, um, <laughs> and so that's when we first yeah met as you know kids. We were on the team together at ten years old, uh, but we had known seen each other in recreation, you know. Like was, you were playing one team, is playing another team. Yeah, so you got plenty flag football, <laughs> and then like during the summer, and our softball. schools were really close too. So they were, they were you know around the corner. That was back when the school was every block, huh? Yeah. <laughs> there was enough kids to fill them, too. Yeah, yeah, that was back in Rosemead when they still had the dirt streets. They weren't paved yet. Damn. Uh, yeah, that, that was a Rosemead and, um, you know, there's so much history in Rosemead. And there's, there's a book called uh, Always Running, uh, which touches on some of, like, the car club life, gang life at the beginning, early, early stages of, of uh, the gang called Animal Tribe which is a car club that turned into the gang, the local gang there. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, that was, you know, the, a huge Latino population. Now it's kind of shifted. It's 50-50 uh, Asian and Mexican community. Um, and you kind of seen that shift, uh, you know, as you're growing up. And, uh, but like, yeah, Rosemead, that's what we had, recreation. Now they, they do things differently now. It's like every school used to have a recreation program. Now it's like, one program one for program. every school. Yeah, yeah. you got to go, and, you know, and uh, that's who we ended up meeting a lot of our friends and a lot of kids, and, you know, was through that recreation program, which is now the mayor of Rosemead was, was a rec leader. Really? Is that so sad? Yeah, right? So, wow. Yeah, she was, you know, I remember she was our leader, and then she went to, like, Harvey Park, and so a lot of the the community really knows her and uh um and uh so that's like mm -hmm. you know part of the the rec deal growing up is how we met you know as kids and um you know from there uh went to St. Gabriel High School like you said played different sports that's how you ended up meeting you you know and and like that just changed everything because uh, at the end of it, I you know I had no clue what I was gonna do. There was no next step for me. You know, I have an older brother who's locked up, younger brother, you know, uh, passed away in a car accident. But like, you know, I have my sister who has four kids and done great. You know, but I I had no clue of what I was gonna do. Like, well, you know, what go to the military? Like, you know, or do that. My dad was in the military. Maybe I can go. You know, but college was never a thought. You know, I didn't have the grades for it. I tell the kids all the time, man, I said, you got no excuse. You got someone who's been there, done that. You know, I had a 1.7 GPA, uh, 16 ACT, you know, and, and like, uh, 
you know, and here I am down the line, and I've gone to school and college, have a degree and all that stuff. So you have no excuse. Every every group of kids that I that I work with, I tell them you have no excuse because you got in front of you, you got an example, you got someone who's been there, done that, um, and which a lot of kids, you know, they they buy in and they they appreciate it, and and uh, so with that piece, you know, of loving football and playing college, you know, playing for you, coach, and and absorbing all that that I learned there and taking that to college and College of the Canyons, playing for Chuck Lyons and then uh, taking a year off uh, and then playing at Glendale with uh, Coach John Secuto and then transferring and playing for Rod Olson and then he left and played for Tony Harper and then Tony from Tony Harper um, uh, after that my senior year I came back to coach at San Gabriel 2003, 2004, um, and 2003 went to the, the semifinals. Or went to the final. My phone. Yeah. <laughs> went to the finals. Oh yeah, yeah. Here we go. Let me rewind. <laughs> we went to the finals to play South Hills, right? Which we knew Coach Bogan because you, you know. So here's him to get another full circle, you know. Um, and we had a good group of scrappy kids, you know, from Rosen. He had four D1 athletes yeah, on his team. Had, at the end of it, he had seven. Yeah, yeah, there were some juniors. I'm yeah, sorry. He had some I was juniors. thinking of the seniors that yeah, year, he, the so, twins, and yeah. So he, he had some dudes um, on that team, and you know, uh, then the next year, uh, it was a new head coach that you know uh, was very new uh, in '04, which we what went one and nine. You know, you get a team that goes to the semifinals, and then you next year you you don't keep it rolling because you know the, the you try to change the culture that was there, right? And try to you know not even add to the culture. You just try to change it completely. So there was no success there, and I think he only lasted one year. Maybe. Wow. Uh, and then uh, th that's uh, when I was also involved in that year. Uh, was also involved with the Junior All-American program with uh, Jess Gonzalez. You know, he uh, asked me to take over one of his teams, and you know, I was, who, who are they? Rosemead Rebels. Was, oh, those Rebels. Yeah, Rosemead Rebels. So Jess Gonzalez have been. You know, he put together that youth program. That's the name of the park, isn't it? The name of the park, <laughs> Jess Gonzalez. Uh, he used to be a police officer, and yeah, so like they, um, yeah, with that Rosemead Rebel program, you think about how many kids had gone through the program or knew about Rosemead Rebel program in the area and so he asked me to coach his team and I agreed to it but I didn't know what I was getting into because I had like the bad news bears <laughs> I had the, the the kids that were too heavy to be on the team and then the kids that were too young to be on the older team so I had yeah I just had the all the worst kids <laughs> of the bad news bears um, and, uh, but I coached him up, man. So Jude also came out and he helped me after he was done with the high school because he was running the, the offense there. Then he would come help. Really? Double duty? He's double duty. We were doing double duties. Uh, <laughs> yeah, coaching at the high school and then we were coaching at the youth the program. And, uh, and like I said, we just had some kids that were um, in betweeners, man. <laughs> they were tweeners. They were first year kids, you know, and, and uh, but and I, then the other teams didn't want them, so they cut them. They, they said, "Oh, cut, we got this team that they can yeah. go to." <laughs> and they actually plucked one kid from us. Remember oh, he's pretty good. <laughs> that was supposed to be on the team. The best one. The best one. They took him, 
but we had kids that stepped up and and they weren't expecting us to do anything. You know, they just expected us to have a team to show up and be there show for up, them every just, day. Just be there and have fun. I was like, uh, uh-huh, we're winning. Yeah. We're gonna try and win. <laughs> oh, really? You games. developed that attitude, huh? Yeah, we're like, we're gonna win. <laughs> You're not we're just showing up and just punching the clock. Huh? You're here to yeah. win, right? <laughs> yeah, we we beat some teams. Like we beat, you know, Almani was like five and zero. We beat them, knocked them out of the playoffs because you had to. You could only have maybe like one loss at the time in order to go to the playoffs. You only took like the top team in the conference. Um, we didn't make the playoffs. We were like three and three or four and three. Yeah, but you were supposed to be on seven, right? Yeah, we were supposed to be on seven. Uh, one one game I remember, we were we had a two minute offense, and I remember Jude Jude turns to me and he's like, "Hey man, run that screen, run that screen there to Simpson, right?" <laughs> and uh, so we sprint to the right, throw back tight end screen, he catches it, scores, game over, we win. And it's just like, you know, just an explosion from the kids. I'm like, man, this is this is cool. You know, that feeling to win. And yeah, uh, yeah it, I know some of those kids I, I haven't seen lately, but I know that, you know, if I see them or they see me, they'll recognize me. And, they remember. You know, they'll remember. They'll remember. And, yeah, even though I call them the Bad News Bears. They remember. Yeah, they, you guys won. They remember <laughs> that we won games. And, you know, they we didn't end the season at, at O and you know, six or seven, whatever the season is. Um, that was 04. Then 05, uh, you know, I went back to Dakota Westland to finish school and coach with uh, under Brad Pohl. Uh, I was coached there for, for three seasons, and I came back um, and uh, coached at East L.A. For one, coached at Temple City High School with Anthony White. Um, and then I went back to Dakota West in 2010, uh, coached there as the pass game coordinator. And then uh, Ross Simple took over. I was an offensive coordinator uh, there for two seasons. We went eight and three, just missed the playoffs. Uh, again, that was the best record that they had had in like 20 years since the 90 teams. The 90s, wow. they were 10 and 0 and 9 and 1. So we had the best record, and, and the best record in that conference, the GPAC conference, which was new. So they used to be in the, in the kind of a Dakota conference with Black Hills, whenever NAIA. So if you know anything about South Dakota football, you know that's like, uh, some, some uh, good football out in that Midwest. And so, that, yeah, that was the best. And then after that, uh, went to the School of Mines, Division II school, did that for a year, and then I got out of coaching. I said, I'm done. I need to revamp, you know, who I am, reevaluate. Do I really want to continue doing this? And I, I stepped out for a year and I covered football, you know, like media. With uh, I worked for NCSA and then I worked for a sleeper recruit out of Georgia and I covered football. So I would go to these camps. I was in L.A. and Atlanta and South Dakota and, you know, and, and I would go to these college campuses, University of South Carolina. They would have these prospect camps. And, uh, Owen Popo was, you know, a kid that was like an eighth grader. Um, he's now playing linebacker for Alabama. Um, King Makuda, he's over at Auburn. You know, so all these kids that I would cover, you know, I'd, I'd get to know them and, and interview them and talk to them. And and um, but I st- just had stepped away, you know, from football. And then um, my nephew Arthur, who played college football at Dakota Wesleyan, he was done. He was finishing up school and he ends up in Lower Brule. And Lord Brule is a Native American reservation, uh, 
and um, there they played nine man football. But he calls me up, says, "Hey man, I need some help with kids. We want to put a flag football program. Let's get it going." And they had already had some things, you know, going every now and then, but nothing consistent. And so uh, I ended up talking to the superintendent, who says, "Well, I don't got nothing for you. You know, no job, nothing." I said, "All right, cool. I get on the highway. I'm headed back." And then he calls me. He says, "Hey man, I just had, had to let go of two people. I got <laughs> I got two positions open. In middle <laughs> school. That, are you interested?" I said, "Yeah, man. I'll you know teach the middle school." And, so I ended up going out to Lord Bro just to help with football. I just wanted to help. Hey, I'll help with football nine man. And then the, the head coach decides, Oh, I'm I'm done. You can take over. It's your program. I was like, Oh my god. So I ended up taking taking over a nine man program. You know, and uh we were like, I don't know, three and six and you know, three and four. Football wasn't really a big priority, they didn't have a weight room. You know, they, they they had, again, a youth program, but like a lot of the time, the kids' first experience for football was high school. They didn't have a youth tackle program like they do now. So uh, that was something that we did. We started flag football. We started um, youth football, like fourth, fifth, and sixth, tackle football. Um, we had um, the um, Redskins organization uh, you guys called them the Redskins. The, the Reds, <laughs> yeah, no, no longer the Redskins. They're the Washington the, the Football Club. The football team. The, the Washington Football Team. Uh, they helped us out with like helmets and and you know different uh, equipment that we needed to get that going. And then uh, FCA Brian Han and Brian Hansen uh, helped us fund a uh, small weight room, probably as big as the garage, where we can fit two platforms. Get all our rubber weights, dumbbells, kettlebells, bands. You know, we just put that all that together, um, and now you know the kids are lifting weights. Now they're pumping some iron, and you know, which they weren't doing that before I got there. And it wasn't because you know anything that that I did, but I knew we needed. You know, that hey, if we want to get to the next level, and, and we want to be successful football and take them to the next sport, you know, and so you know that was huge. You know, to just have that thing implemented you know and then I just ended last year uh, 2019 uh, went to the finals uh, and uh, we, we lost to our uh, rival that was like 15 miles away and we played them twice we lost them the first time by a score and then we just got blown out in the championship game and um, it was a great experience for my kids you know that to, to see that but you get you know to to make it to a championship game, you know, and and be there again, and not win it, it's it's uh, uh, still an experience, you know. It's just like and uh, that that for me, uh, you know, football wise, to finally um, again see it all come full circle, the hard work, the you know the hours put into it for the kids to get to that point of you know, getting to a championship, understanding it's not you know just competing for a league. You know, it's not about winning the first round. You know, it's like hey, getting the championship. You know, uh, to say you got there, and no matter the outcome, the kids are always going to talk about that. You know, getting to the championship, and uh, yeah, I ended up, uh, you know, uh, at, at the end of it, saying goodbye. You know, I'm just I'm gonna look for some other opportunities, and uh, didn't work out as planned. But you know, now um, relocated. Back to California and coaching with coaching with Jude right now, 
you know. And yeah, we haven't coached together in 17 seasons, 16 seasons. Yeah. That's a, lot, a long time. That's a long time. That's a lot of football <laughs> in between, man. A lot of football in between. Yeah. Different experiences, too. Different. <laughs> Different, man. man. Coaching in South Dakota is not as, uh, uh, again, as big as um, they think it is when you compare it to California, Texas, Florida. You know. uh, they do have a traveling team, uh, the South Dakota Miners, that does travel around and they play Texas teams. Actually, they do really well, that, but that's you know that's again they, what they've done. They've adopted the culture of football, and they've they've made it big out in Sioux Falls area. So kids come from all over to play there. Yeah, you do. Uh, that's uh, where Nate Gary. He was playing today for the Eagles. He's from Tighten. Sioux Falls. Uh, no safety. safety. Played in Nebraska. Yep, played in Nebraska. Yep. Then you have uh, uh, Nash Hutmaker. He's he's at Nebraska. You know, he's from he's a South Dakota kid. You have uh, uh, Goder, uh, tight end uh, for the Eagles. So, you know, there's there's that's happening, right? I mean, you have D1 players coming out of South Dakota. NFLers. NFLers <laughs> coming out of South Dakota. The Chad Greenway is another guy. Ben Lieber is another guy, that South Dakota guy. So, and those teams like Minnesota, they pick them up. You know, Thielen. Thielen's, well, he's not a South Dakota guy, but, you know, small school. Yeah, and that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, in that Midwest, you get a lot of those small schools. They get some good ball players. You guys that get overlooked, but, you know. Um, yeah. Football changes the culture at the school. You know, football changes a lot for a community. Yeah. And here they are trying to shake it up. Yeah, they want to disband it or, or limit it. Limit it and it's, I mean, it's it's like anything. We always talk about, like, rallying the community and having that stuff. I know some of the biggest things at San Gabriel, when we were at San Gabriel, was going to the finals and doing those things. And we finally, I know, I know, I'm probably thinking about it. So I want to ask you a question, Coach. When did you kind of see, um, I know I, I have a moment myself, but when did you kind of see, like, at San Gabriel, like, where you felt like, that you finally got us to shift into the right direction. It wasn't even football. It was that big bear trip. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I saw? I saw a lot of the clicks go down. I saw a lot of people getting together. Um, A lot of people um, were backing other people up. People were helping each other. Um, and it was all because everybody wanted to be a, a, with us on that trip. You know what I mean? It's like, how many of you guys ever been to Big Bear? How many of you guys ever been to the mountains? How many of you guys ever did any of that stuff? And so, like, everybody wanted to go to that trip. So it's like everyone stopped being selfish or thinking about themselves, and they wanted to be part of the team. So they, it, I think, you know, remember when we stayed after at that pizza place and we played the video games? And I saw people that had money letting the other guys not have money come in and play. That's when I knew the barriers were down. Mm-hmm. That's when I knew you guys as a team, I knew that that team was now going to play for each other and not, you know, like you didn't want to let him down. He didn't want to let him down. You know, uh, you, didn't, you know, you didn't even know this kid, but now you, you're counting on this kid, you know, and you're pulling for him and you wanted him to be successful. You wanted him to, to win. Even when we were doing it against each other, where that first year you guys wanted to kill each other and make each other look bad because you hated each other. You know what I mean? It's like it wasn't a team. But, but after that Big Bear trip, when we came back, um, I, I, that's when I noticed, man, we were, 
it was a whole different a whole different uh, uh, experience with you guys because I knew that everybody had, had I, I guess everybody since we, we were together for like since Friday till Sunday right yeah. and we spent Friday night Saturday night remember, remember all you guys remember when uh, I was gonna separate because we didn't have enough guys that would fit and you guys said no we're all going wow. to the cabin yeah. and you guys all made room right and then when I went to look and inspect the cabin the next morning it wasn't a blown-up disaster you guys kept it clean compared to the year before when you guys blew up the motel rooms oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I knew because it was like you guys cared about stuff yeah. you guys didn't want to let me down by by blowing up the cabin because no one I'd probably have to pay you know whatever to fix whatever you guys had broken you know what I mean and everybody made room for everybody I mean, think about that. I mean, you guys you guys were the guys that slept in that cabin or didn't sleep, right? Yeah, yeah. We had the hierarchy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Some guys earned their way on to... <laughs> to, to what level? Yeah. 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 yeah, there's definitely, you know, that piece of it of, like, the older guys and being in charge. And checking, but then the older guys, guys also also not not just being the bullies. You know how you can be an older guy and be a yeah, bully? Yeah. But also, like, like you wanna, you gotta give the, the young ones or the little ones that are trying, and you gotta, you gotta reward that effort, right? But sometimes there's teams where there's just bullies, right? And they don't, they don't want the underclassmen to make them look bad. They don't want the underclassmen to take another senior's job, right? But when, when that gets broken down by the leaders, and it's just everybody's contributing, then that's when you win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Team building, yeah. that's that's important. I know that, you know, there's a lot of I've installed that, you know, in programs and trying to do something before, you know, the, before, well, they used to have Hell Week. They don't have Hell Week anymore. Yeah. Right? Can't, can't say Hell Week. Can't yeah. snoop. <laughs> but, can't snoop. <laughs> uh, but that, you know, team building is, is important, you know, and, and there's a lot of different ideas out there, a lot of great ideas. You know, when I was at Westland, we used to take the seniors out to Isabel, South Dakota. You're talking about out nowhere. There's nowhere you can hear coyotes coming from miles away, right? Because they smell you, so they they know you have food and leave stuff like that. So um, we would take the the kids out, um, and uh, we would have activities for three days, right? Activities. There was like a, a reading session. They would read a book, you know, like a Band of Brothers book. They would read or Wild at Heart. Um, they would read some books like that. Uh, we would feed them. We would take them out and shoot archery. Take them out shooting shoot shotguns or 22s, clay shooting. Uh, sh go out and shoot prairie dogs. Uh, we would send them on hikes. We'd send them on uh, a mile run. Like still, they would get their conditioning in. Um, we would uh, take them swimming. You know, we would do all of that. Um, with, you know, with the seniors and like the leadership group to get them connected and bonded and. Um, and that was always a cool experience because, like you said, those those barriers are broken down. You you learn a mental part. You know, we uh, mental part of football. That's you know um, a breaking point of quitting or not. You know, that's just what it is. We would send the kids out um, and on a hike, on a midnight hike. We would they would drive them out in the van, <laughs> drop them off, drop them off, own, and they only give them flashlights, and they had to hike their way back to the house. They could see the house because they had lights, right? But they had to bushwhack, and they would they bushwhack for two hours. Okay. Did they get machetes or no? Nope, no machetes, just flashlights. Long ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the handle. It was funny because because you could see them 
you know, like, you can see them as they're, they're running because they hear something. They're, like, running around. You can see the, just the flashlights going all over the place. <laughs> but they had to stick together, right? Because if you didn't stick together with the guy with the flashlight, lost. you're lost. Yeah. Man. You're lost. And so they would show up and just, you know, just be laughing about who got scared or... What they heard. What they heard. A wolf was chasing yeah. me. <laughs> there was, oh, we know we heard the coyote. We know we heard, a, yeah, a bear. It's like, man, there aren't bears here for miles. <laughs> And uh, yeah, they would they would have a great time, and then it was like you said, breaking down the barriers and creating that team atmosphere, atmosphere and leadership. And so a lot of times, yeah, we would we would do things like that, and and then when we brought kids into camp, it had that leadership. You had those guys they knew that had gone through something. That one day, you know, they're gonna go through it too, right? And and so um, you know, then we would do the pool stuff, team building. We would do all that belly flop we used to have a belly flop contest there at oh, Weston. so all flop. the freshmen that came in all the freshmen had to go through the belly flop uh, <laughs> initiation yeah yeah and they would go and they, yep everybody would go and belly flop and if you were a transfer or you're a new guy you had to do it because you were new in the program you knew, yeah you knew the program you had to belly flop so so sensitive now man they call that hazing <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we didn't Oh, there was no, amazing yeah, going yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> that it just too. wasn't sponsored. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got a question. Um, I'll go with you first. Like, you guys mentioned that, uh, you know, you guys just showed up. You didn't even know, expect to win, right? Yeah. But now, you don't even see that old pass, do you? You walk on the field, you don't expect to, you expect to win, right? I, I mean, expect to win all the time now, and it's not just, you know, the the best part about it is uh, it's not just football. It's in everything. It's in every aspect of my life, every aspect of my family. Uh, when I go to teach, you know, I know they tease me because they, they, always, they always tease me because I'll shut my phone off or I'll teach PE. But, you know, I'll do those things and they always tease me about, what are you trying to be a teacher of the year? So, yeah, I want to be the best at everything I do. And uh, yeah, preparation is everything. Um, and I learned that, I learned that really, you know, those years, those years with you and it just kind of carried on, like I said, fortunate after that, you know, that we went to, you steered us in the right direction and going with the right coaches and the right people to invest in our life. Cause now, I mean, I, without, without structure, I don't even know how I would, how I would function anymore. Um, and just look at every, uh, and I still preach this to, to that day is, uh, to, to the players that I have or kids that I mentor is uh, success and confidence comes from preparation. And a lot of times um, when you come from <clears throat> homes of poverty or broken homes or, you know, no your structure, yeah, yeah. Your, your circumstances are bad. It's really easy. It's really easy to say, you know, I'm a product of my environment. Oh, I can't do something. Um, when as opposed to, I tell them, you know, confidence confidence comes from preparation if you prepare you're going to be successful it's like it's inevitable it's like something gives um if you work hard you do the right things and you prepare for what you're what you're getting into whether it's school whether it's uh you know football whether it's uh business or whatever if you're preparing the right way and you're doing what you're supposed to you know you will be successful and you got to understand that so i know now i mean in any aspect of my life i take the when I take it, I know I'm going to be successful because of my preparation. And when I when I know I'm going to be unsuccessful, I'm going to fail. As I know 
that I didn't prepare, and I just went out there and wing, you know, just said, ah, let me do it, you know, and wing it, yeah, <laughs> wing it, and 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 I'm not, and not, you see it, I mean, it's, it every, every uh, result you get in, in those different aspects comes from that, and you know, you know whether you put in the time and the effort, and uh, when you didn't, you know the result, you know, and it, it don't surprise me anymore, is what it, what it is, and you know, it took uh, it took people to speak that into into my life and existence uh, for me to believe it because I did grow up where you know success wasn't something that came to a lot of shoot a lot of our our people that you know that that came from where we came from I mean some of the names we named you know going in some of those guys are in jail some of those guys unfortunately have passed some of those guys probably still live with their parents um, you know are living paycheck to paycheck or whatever the case is and you know they don't have the same opportunities and you know I always tell kids you, you can't feel I mean and, and I know this might sound bad but I tell the kids you can't feel sorry you gotta understand like there's every when I said you know success and success and unsuccess and there are people that are unsuccessful that's a choice too it's not just you know well you know you're also blessed but I, I say you know the people who are blessed are usually the ones that put in the time and the effort and, and, and they and they go out and and don't use it don't you know have a crutch and don't use excuses they they live off of that like yeah i'm gonna prepare to make sure that i'm successful so those are those things that i i i love like that's a message i will continue to speak and i don't just continue to try to empower people with that stuff because i know how much it meant to me and in my life so well i had the same question for you i'm gonna think about this for a bit yeah, because I mean, like now, like you, you show up to, like, say whatever team you're with, right? Mm -hmm. You don't walk in there thinking you're going to lose, right? I mean, there's, um, you know, what I mean, like, not. I mean, like, you understood what <laughs> what what it was yeah. that, that why you got there, why I was so confident when I showed up, right? Because I was always yeah. preparing and always was ready, and I always wanted to give you guys the best um, game plan for you guys to understand it, to execute it, so you guys had a chance, you know, or not a chance, but you know, I was expecting to win. And I mean, you know, both of you guys came from the environment or you had, no one had ever taught you that, you know, if you do this and this, you can get here, you know? And now it's like you guys both live it and breathe it. I mean, shit, you know, you, you took the program that I got to the first round and went to the finals. You took a, a program that was never, not even breathing and put life into it and took it to a championship game. So, I mean, you don't have that success without, you know, having that mindset where, you know, I'm here to win. You know, and, and it's not, and it's not just the win-win, you know, that, that's, that's like the end product, right? It's just like, it's my process that gets me to what I, I'm going to get to. But you have that same, you know, like that's your process or, or, yeah. you know, what do you think got you there or what, what made you understand it? Now you go in any situation, you know, you're going to be the best or you want to be the best at it. Right. Yeah. I, and I think the, the competitive nature, you know, that I've had that I've like fostered, you know, knowing that. Um, you know, I'm competitive going into a sport that I love, that I know, I know football, you know, I know X and O's, you know, we, we can get up there and draw it up all day long, right? Get on the board. And then that same formula, as I talked about before, that same formula, and, and I apply it to, you know, whatever job or career that I'm in and I, and I, it's, it's always good, you know, it's always successful. And then, and, and so, you know, why change that idea? Why, why, you know, you, you adapt and adjust and evolve, you do all that, but like there's a formula to it. And, uh, you know, going into, 
every you know every team that I'm working with or you know matter what it is I you know we're competing to win you know and uh, if we if we don't win you know then it's a lesson uh, you know I'm not a loser so <laughs> we don't lose it's a lesson man so either you win or a lesson coach <laughs> it's a coaching it. moment coaching moment win or a lesson I'm not a loser I don't lose so uh, but I, I, you know, just taking that and, and find a way to to win, you know, and, and like you said, whether it's the off season or you know another preparation or don't put yourself in that position again, you know. I always think about uh, we lost we lost the football game by inches. Uh, we lost forty nine forty two, and I believe if we would have scored, uh, we would have went for two and won it fifty forty nine. So that that play is always sticking in my head. So if it ever happens again, you know, I don't, we're not in that situation again. You know, it's a totally different outcome. You know, we get to the six yard line with time running out, and we spike it. We get the personnel group in there to run the play that we've been working on all week to get the touchdown, and then we the two point conversion that we've been working on all week. You know, we run that. You know that we've been practicing every single day in our two minute drill. You know, we're running that play. So. Uh, you know, those scenarios, the formulas, you know, things like that that I've, you know, had to learn a lesson from, like, it's here. It's here. And when it comes around again, I'm not making that same mistake, you know. And the same thing in the workforce, same thing. You know, I've made a lot of mistakes in the workforce, you know. Saying the wrong thing or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> speaking out of order sometimes. My filter. My filter doesn't work sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was... Uh, one time I was going to get fired in like my second week as, as the football coach uh, in Lower Bro because uh, I was insubordinate is what I was told because I, I mowed uh, an area to practice on <laughs> in the softball field. I, I, I mowed an area that the softball field wasn't used. So that was insubordination because I didn't go through the chain of command. <laughs> so I said, well, next time I'll go through the chain of command. You know, it's just. Just things needed to get done. Do it right? and apologize yeah. later. Do it and apologize later. <laughs> so uh, I, I, do, I do things like that every now and then. But I, I've learned, you know, I've learned there's change, chain of command. You know, don't go around your supervisor or if you're an assistant, don't go around your head coach. You know, don't do any of that crap. Go through the chain of command. Go through your supervisor, whoever's ahead of you, you know, because um, that's the way it's supposed to be, you know, I think. Uh, even if you think like, hey, you know what, I shouldn't be an assistant. I should be the head guy. Wait your turn. You know, wait your turn. <laughs> That's it. You know, you'll get the opportunity if you're that good or that confident. You'll get, you'll get the chance, you know, that to, to be in those positions. But uh, don't do it wrong, you know. No, do it the way it's supposed to be done, man. And have that opportunity. So, um, but, yeah, you know, that's when I go into it. You know, that's what I'm thinking about. You know, my entry level, you know, I'm going to take your job at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> that's my thought process. I don't know. You know, it doesn't always happen that way. But <laughs> yeah, but you're thinking it, right? It's already, it's like inbred. I mean, it's like, like even before you step in the situation, you already thought that, you know, I'm going to be the best one here. I'm going to do the best I can. No one's going to be better than me, if, you know. I mean, right. th that's how I, I deal in business now. Yeah. Same way, and, and you know, like, so many people are lazy, so many people want to cut corners, so people want to punch a clock and get paid for nothing, right? Yeah. 
And if, if you have the attitude that we had, right, in, in the work process, get it done, go put your work in, work extra, show up early, stay late, right? You know, like, you know, you drop a pass. Next day after practice, every day after practice, he's begging people to stay after. Quarterback has to go do his homework, be with his girlfriend. He grabs the backup quarterback. I need 20 more passes. Yeah. You know, both of you guys, you know, it's like you do that in any situation in life, and, and you can usually beat a lot of people. I mean, you beat, you know, top 10% just by that attitude. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, the I, secret to life. That's secret. <laughs> I, I was uh, successful <laughs> over these last couple of weeks uh, working construction, right? Busting concrete, right? Hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Guys. I, and I've, I've done a lot of different odd jobs. Hmm. I used to put in sprinkler systems. I've, I've done stucco. I've, I've, you know, I've done a lot of different things, and I've done landscaping. I've, you know, I've been a, been a teacher. I've been you know college football coach. I've, been a bartender. I've done a lot of different. You've been I'm a bartender. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> I've worn a lot of different hats. Right. I've, oh, I've done you know sales, cold calls. I've done uh, you know uh, marketing. I've done you know work with the recreation. I've uh, you know just I've wore a lot of different hats. And, and you know going into this this last couple of weeks was you know I'm going to learn as much as I can. You know I want to I want to learn this. I want to learn working with pavers. You know that's what it is. I just want to learn this. I want to see how they operate. And um, so every chance that I had to try and learn, you know, whether I was shoveling type two gravel and throwing it into a, you know, wheelbarrow, I was also watching the foreman measure, you know, um, the pavers and cutting them and fitting them around the pool, you know, and then I'm wheelbarrowing them out and, you know, learning how these guys, even something simple of like dumping concrete. Was I doing it right the first time? No, it was, I was not doing it right. Right? Then you watch the guy who's doing it right and making it easier on himself, right? Work smarter, not harder type. And, uh, and you know, you're just watching everything. And, you know, I, I don't know how to mix concrete, right? So the guys mix concrete and I'm shoveling again and I'm watching them mix concrete. You know, and I say, oh, that's how it's done. You know, the process. Like, you know how he does that? Like, <laughs> he's like right on with the boop boop. So it's like double, it's a double and then a throw. And then a yeah. double. Cause, yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah, I, I just noticed that. Because yeah, it's, it's then like, you get the half of it, then the well, rest of it. You, <laughs> yeah. Like, but you see how he was doing that? Kind of like, <laughs> like when you're telling, you know, like yeah. release, right? <laughs> you know, get your hands up. You want to go outside. You grab this hand to go this way, you know. Right. <laughs> he's like. <laughs> yep, that's exactly it. We're, yeah, we're so technical, huh? Right. <laughs> As coaches, we're technical. technical. And, you, and you learn that, and you apply that, and you, you know, then like um, the process of it, right? They, like you're, you figure out a system. So with a jackhammer, you just don't go and jacking everything up. <laughs> you just like, duh, 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 duh. no, you don't do that. Or you know, or the chisel, you're just not, you know, here and there. I mean, there's, you know, there's a way to do it. There's, you know, it's like, to me, it's there's like... science to it. Yeah, yeah. science to it. It's, it's music in motion, you know? Like, there's... They're not just randomly doing that. Like, even though as random as, like, construction seems, you're, oh, you're going demo, you're just breaking stuff. No, no, there's there's a pattern to it. You know, there's a pattern to it. The guy's punching holes, pop, 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 you know, and then he's going around, and, and, and they're, you know, when they're breaking the concrete, they're all the same. So you can pick them up a certain way and dump them in the wheelbarrow. It's not just random, you know, there's a whole system to it, there's a whole formula to it. And I was just, you know, blown away and, you know, at, at uh, the foreman, you know, who I think is like a masonry genius, you know, as he's cutting all the pieces and fitting them around the pool. And uh, I learned, I've just learned so much about, 
you know, like, you know, if I wanted to be where he was at, could I do that? Absolutely. Is it going to take two weeks? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. It's going to take longer than that. <laughs> two years. Get gonna, an apprenticeship. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to take that long. And, um, but what I had learned from that was, you know, it was, it was great. You know, also took me to a breaking point too, um, that on Wednesday when we were, I must've busted about, you know, 15, 20 wheelbarrows of concrete, you know, and you're going, you know, have to wheel them around and take them down a hill and then dump them and then come back and do it again. And these are big pieces of concrete that had been broken, right? What was the weight? I would say each each piece of concrete was probably, you know, probably 15, you know, to 20 pounds. And how many in the wheelbarrow? You'd probably get about... Four pieces, five pieces? A little bit more than that, right? Maybe like eight, like eight pieces in there, right? Because you had to make sure you so top load it. 160, 180 pounds. So, you're, and then you're, you're shrugging it. <laughs> Shoulders. Oh, shrugging it. Back. Yep. And then you can't go too high with the wheelbarrow because then it has a little lip. That hits the hits the concrete or hits another lip, and you have to have little makeshift ramps. And I remember I went too high, and I hit the concrete. Boom! And I tipped over, and then the wheelbarrow like threw me sideways. And I was trying to gather my feet, and it was soft dirt and concrete, so I slipped. Boom! Oh, fell on the ground. Yeah, the wheelbarrow's empty. <laughs> the wheelbarrow's done. Yeah, it was done. All the all the concrete that spilled over made a big mess. And I could just, all I can do is just laugh and say, well, you know, you know better than to lift the wheelbarrow up, right? Because you have to have that technique. But I was, you know, just like trying to hurry. And, you know, when you hurry, sometimes you don't always do what you're supposed to do. And um, it was about 9.50. We had started at 7.30, busting the con concrete, right? So uh, from 7.30 to 9.50 was wheelbarrow off the wheelbarrow, picking up concrete. My fingers are all cut up. My gloves are torn, you know. Um, my hands stayed stuck like this. I couldn't straighten them. I couldn't straighten them. My back was hurting. Uh, and I, you know, I dumped off that last load. And I said, man, I'm, I'm done. I'm telling myself, like, you're done. You're going to quit, man. Just quit. I was telling them, just quit. And I was like, you know, yeah, I'm just going to walk in there and say I'm done. <laughs> just, just say, hey, guys, thanks for the opportunity, but I'm done. And I remember taking the wheelbarrow in there, putting it down, and the foreman's like, Lunchtime! <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> what timing? What timing, right? Like, I was broken. I was about ready to quit. You know, I haven't quit anything, you know, who knows how long. Right? I can't even remember when I quit. And I was about ready to quit and walk away, and then that happens. And I was recharged, you know? I was recharged because I didn't break. As much as I wanted to, and I was saying it, but I didn't break. I didn't quit. I didn't walk away. I had lunch, came back for another two, three hours busting concrete again, just willing it up. And that time, and that, at that point, it was easy. There was no thought of quitting after that. You know, wow. That never came back in, into mind. It was just, hey, I know I got this much time. We, I got to pace myself. I got to, you know, make sure I'm doing a ride, not falling over, hitting the lip. I got to make sure that that's, you know, all getting done. Man, but it taught, it taught me so much. It wasn't even about, you know, going and making money. It was more about you know, me trying to break my own spirit. <laughs> Your will. My will. <laughs> yeah, my will to keep on and keep on. And, that, and so, um, you know, those things, we do that to our kids, right? We're like, with our football program, conditioning, right? Yeah. Trying to see where I can take you. Yeah. How far, how far I can bend you before you break. <laughs> you have to. 
<laughs> as part of the, he said, as part of the process, um, definitely teaches you a lot about people and how they think, what they operate off of, and what motivates them, what inspires them. I know that was always uh, that was always uh, something I was always curious about. I know what motivated me, what inspired me um, when I would play and when I would do things. So I'd, I'd always like to see the individual, the individual players or kids that I thought would would quit on me during the season. I would try to get them to, as bad as that sounds, but try to get them to do it before we even started the season. So, you know, I, I knew ahead of time, you know, hey, this kid isn't a kid I want to invest my trust in. But you'd, be, you'd also be very surprised on the kids that uh, persevere through that stuff. And Yeah, and, sometimes it's the ones you don't think. Yeah, and they end up turning into leaders. And it's, it's really cool, like you said, the process of it is really cool. I always like it. I always enjoyed that part of coaching. Yeah, yeah. How do you learn? You know, learn from the process. Or are you learning? Some kids are learning, some not. You know, do you teach you teach them how to learn, right? And then now, nowadays, learning is very different because it's shifting. You know, technology, right? No more books. Everything's all visual. Pictographs. You know, audio, right? And uh, you know, we look at that and say, how how do we, do we change with it or not? Do we, you know? Yeah, you have to innovate. You have to, right? You talked about it earlier with the workforce. You know, it's it's where it's going to. You know? um, I know that teachers are dealing with it now. Businesses, you know, what so like what tools do we need to give our kids now? You know, that that are going to help them. In the workforce, you know, because what we do, football, is is football. But like, we know that it's bigger than football. It's life beyond football, right? It's the next chapter, and you know, now teaching our kids how to be better men, better women. You know, we used to have a couple female football players. There's more now than there used to be. There's pro football, you know, women coaches, coaches, and so. Um, you know, with that teaching them, you know, everything we can. And, um, you know, that's important. That's important as coaches to give back, you know, to the kids because when football is done, for some, it's done. You know, and I know that there's, um, there's a young man that he went out to the military. He was only with us for one year at, um, in Lower Brule. But he says what, uh, what we taught him in that one year just helped him, you know, be who he is in the military you know and I thought you know I never looked at it like that and that's how I, so that started to shift and change my thought process of what I'm really giving back to football you know with the kids and when they move on so you know before it used to be like hey well let's try and find you a scholarship you know now it's like well let's let's get you ready for whatever workforce military you know fatherhood you want to go to trade school, four year, you know, what do you want to do? You know, let, let, let's, let's get you ready for it. So like the football lessons are all you know, kind of encompassed now into that. Um, there's some guys that are out there doing it and they've been doing it like that for a long time and uh, with coaches and so, you know, I think, you know, what we're doing now, this platform, hopefully that, you know, coaches want to hear more of it and we can, you know, talk about it more and get some of these guys on X and O and really explore this platform to 
get our message out there with the information. Right. So, um, yeah, man. I see you looking at your clock, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm older than you guys. What time we got? <laughs> what time we got here? It's time to call session one, there and, and then. Uh, all right. Let's see what we can do for session two. Yeah, so this is the, the regular guys podcast here with Gary Arona, Judo Lima, Zeke Prado, uh, brought to you by 365 Athletics, and um, you know, stay tuned for the next podcast. We'll have a l- little bit more about uh, sports, culture, food, uh, maybe have a guest show up. Uh, we don't know yet where we're taking this, but this is the first steps here to our podcast. We enjoy the process, and uh, we're out. Oh, mic drop. You're like, ah. <laughs> 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 I'm out of my 